So I want you to imagine this movie. It's about a man who lives in the suburbs. And this movie follows his everyday life as he goes to work each morning, works a nine-to-five. Then he comes home, he spends time saying hey to his neighbors, getting to know them a little bit. Then he goes inside his house. Most nights of the week, his family eats a meal together. And then sometimes before bed, he reads to his kids or his wife reads to his kids. This movie follows this man as he does this day after day. And then sometimes we see him lending a tool to a neighbor or reaching out when there's a need around him. Sometimes we see him and his wife praying before they leave for the day. And this movie really tracks a year of his life. Wouldn't that be the most boring movie ever? Right? I don't know about you, but I would hate to watch that movie. It would be terrible because when I watch a movie, I want to see drama. I want to see conflict. I want to see mystery. I want to see some kind of transformation, right? And in this guy's life, there's really none of that. He's pretty consistent. He's pretty faithful. And day after day, he tries to love his family, tries to love God, and he tries to love his neighbors. The authors of this book that this sermon series has been based on, The Art of Neighboring, they say in here that the movies we watch tell us a lot about what we value in our culture. And I think it's pretty clear from the movies you and I love that we don't often value patience, consistency, and being faithful day in and day out. Instead, what our culture values is extreme makeovers, dramatic changes. We, we value those encounters where something happens and then the world is changed. There's a romantic encounter and nothing is different. That's what our culture values. And so when it comes to loving our neighbors, which we've been talking about these last few weeks, living out the second half of the great commandment to love our neighbors like Jesus tells us to, oftentimes it can kind of feel anticlimactic. At times it can feel kind of boring. And I don't know about you, when I'm loving my neighbors, I want to see a revolution on my block next week. But that's not exactly how loving our neighbors works. When we're loving the people next door to us, oftentimes it's slow. It requires patience. It requires us loving people in small ways consistently over time. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been in this series called Next Door where we're talking about what it would look like if we began loving our neighbors who lived next door to us. And in your bulletin this week in the insert, again, is this little map. I want to invite you to pull that out. We have it up here as well. And this map we've been using as a representation of your neighborhood. And you probably don't live in a neighborhood that looks exactly like this. But the center house represents your home. And these eight other houses represent the eight houses that are closest to you. So if you live at a farm, these might be the eight houses that are down from you. If you live in a neighborhood, these are the eight people on your cul-de-sac. And I've been challenging you each week to fill in these other houses with the names of your neighbors, to take a step, take a risk, and get to know your neighbors. And so I want to check in today, and I'm curious, how many of you were able to learn the, new na- the name of a new neighbor this week or to grow closer uh, in a relationship with one of your current neighbors? Raise your hand if that was you. All right, all right, good job, guys, good job. Well, I want to let you know that even though this sermon series is coming to an end today, 
I want to continue to challenge you to do that, to challenge you to look for opportunities to love your neighbors, to love the people who are right next door. In the first week, we talked about in the series how love goes first, how love requires us to make the first move, to risk vulnerability, to go up and to knock on someone's door, even though it might be a little uncomfortable for us. Love requires risk and possible rejection. After all, that's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. He didn't wait for us to invite him into this world. No, Jesus Christ came to love and save us even while we were still his enemies. Love went first, and now Jesus is calling us to go first to our neighbors to make the first move. So that's what we talked about the first week. Last week, we talked about how love takes time. How the number one barrier to loving our neighbors who are right around us is our schedules. If we don't have space, if we don't have margin in our schedules, then we're never going to begin loving the people who are around us because we're going to be rushing from one thing to the next. And love takes time to develop and to grow. So last week I challenged you to evaluate your schedule and your priorities and to ask yourself, am I making the second half of the great commandment, which Jesus clearly believed was a priority, am I making that a priority? And this week I want to talk about how love starts small. Loving our neighbors often looks like planting seeds instead of transplanting oak trees. Loving our neighbors looks like putting a dollar in the bank every week instead of winning the lottery. Loving our neighbors requires small, intentional acts of love over time. And over time, God takes those small things and does something big with them in his kingdom. And so this morning, as we're exploring Um, this concept about love starting small and the idea of God's kingdom and how love works in it, I want us um, to look in the Gospel of John at a a very famous story. Many of you are familiar with it. It's, It's the one miracle that's in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is the feeding of the 5,000. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn um, to the book of John. If you don't have a Bible, we have some free for you at the Welcome Center. Feel free to grab one of those on your way out or on the way into worship next week. And this story begins in chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another one of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? 
So Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a scene from a movie I want to see. I would love to see this movie and to see Jesus and his disciples moving across the Sea of Galilee, going to the other side, and all of these people following them because they had seen Jesus perform miracles. They wanted to be close to him. Here it says 5,000 men were following them, including women and children. A lot of scholars believe there would have been close to 15,000 people there. I'd love to see Philip. I'd love to see his face when Jesus asks him, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I'd like to see the befuddlement as as he's thinking, Jesus, like, we're living in a culture of, of, of food shortages. And even if we could go and buy every piece of bread in the area, I, I don't think it would be enough. And even if we, we could go do that, we wouldn't have enough money. And Jesus, like, if the people were hungry, they should have brought food. They're following us. We didn't invite them. I would love to just see the internal conflict on his face and in his heart in this movie. And then I would love to see Jesus receiving these gifts from this boy, taking them, blessing them, and then passing them out to other people. And then finally, I'd love to see the disciples picking up the baskets of leftovers. There were 12 baskets, one for each of them. That's as much as they could carry. 12 baskets of leftovers after the people have eaten all that they can. I think the final scene, if I was filming this movie, would be the disciples' faces. Their joy, their awe, their gratitude. After they've witnessed Jesus take something small, bless it, and multiply it for the good of God's kingdom. That's a movie I would love to see. But you know what's perhaps more amazing than this scene 2,000 years ago or any movie that could ever be based upon this scene? What's more amazing is the reality that Jesus still works in this same way today. In your life and in my life. Jesus calls us to give him what we have. Which a lot of times to us seems insignificant and meager but he calls us to give him what we have and he's able to take it bless it and multiply it for good for the sake of his kingdom i mean he's able to take our meager ability to remember our neighbor's names anybody struggle with remembering their neighbor's names he's able to take that and use it he's able to take our small acts of kindness. He's able to take 
the, the small amount of margin that we have in our lives after, after we're loving our family, after we're loving the church and loving him, he's able to take what's left over and he's able to use that. If we're willing to dedicate it to him and to our neighbors, he's able to take that small amount of time and to multiply it for his kingdom. But it requires us trusting him. It requires us being willing to hand what we have over to him. And the challenge for us is that the disciples, they got to see the miracle. They got to see all of the bread and the fish going out. They got to collect the leftovers. And for us, a lot of times, we don't get to see the miracles. We don't get to see the trees that are grown from the seeds that we plant. And so we have to trust God not only with what we have, but also trust that God is at work, even when we can't see the end result. And so in this series, we've been talking about loving our neighbors. And today in this final message, I want to let you know, you don't, have, you don't need to stop loving your neighbors at the end of this series. I want you to continue doing it. I want you to continue doing it in big ways and in small ways. And as we wrap up this week, I want to give you five small ways that you can love your neighbors. Five things you can do that Jesus can take, he can bless, and he can multiply it for good in this world. And the first thing is pretty simple. And that is to be visible. The number one barrier, I think, to loving our neighbors well is is time. But another huge barrier is the fact that in our culture, we often don't even see our neighbors. Because we leave early in the morning, we go to work, we come home, shut the garage door, and we stay inside. And so if we're going to have interactions with our neighbors, it, it requires our neighbor to come and to knock on our door, which we all know is kind of awkward these days. And so we have to be willing to be visible. We have to be willing to make changes. And there, there are small changes we can make in our, our routine of life that help make this happen. And one of them is to move things from the backyard to the front yard. So if you have a grill in the backyard, and that's usually where you do that cooking, you can actually move it to your driveway and cook there. That's how I've gotten to know my neighbor, because he cooks ribs in the front yard. And guess what? When the ribs are on the smoker, I walk over and ask him what's going on. And I, I try to get some free food, but he, it hasn't happened yet. I always try, you know, like, yeah, it's been a long day, kind of hungry. But, you know, it's a small thing. But it helps us have interaction. So moving your grill from the backyard to the front yard, if, if your kids often play in the backyard, you can go with them and y'all can move to the front yard. And y'all can play there. Marley, who's part of Harvest Point, she was able to fill out all of her neighbors, all eight. And I was astounded because that's, that's high. I said, how did you do it? And she said, oh, my kids. She said, they're always running around the front yard and running and saying hey to everybody and getting to know all the neighbors, and so I've gotten to know them too. Moving from the backyard to the front yard is an easy way to become visible. And another way is to simply go on walks in your neighborhood. Make yourself available. Emily and I, a lot of times in the evening, we'll, we'll just go on a walk and we'll catch up on our day together. And from time to time, we'll see our neighbors and we'll have an opportunity to say hey to them. And as you walk, you can, you can pray for God to bless the people in each house. You can pray for God to open up doors, opportunities to love your neighbors. There's many different ways we can be visible. But I want to challenge you to begin thinking about how can I become more visible in my neighborhood? 
so that there can be opportunities for natural interactions with my neighbors. But I know that it's getting a little bit tougher now that the time is about to change, and it's, it's darker for longer during the day. And so this ties in with the second thing, small thing we can do, and that is to connect online with our neighbors. And now many of you might not realize this, but there is a, a social network that is dedicated to connecting people with their neighbors. It's called Nextdoor, nextdoor.com. It has over 10 million users, and it's in over 100,000 neighborhoods. And now, if you live in a traditional neighborhood, it connects you. But even if you live um, kind of just on a main road, it connects you regionally with the people around you. They'll mail you a postcard to verify your address, and then you have access to message boards and other ways to get to know the people who literally live next door and around you. When we moved to the neighborhood, I, I've gotten on there and, I, and I've gotten recommendations. I say, hey, I need some firewood. And then 10 people tell me where to get the best firewood near my house. When something bad has happened in our neighborhood, like car break-ins or things like that, people will let us know. We're able to watch out for each other. Recently, someone had a tragedy. And so people on nextdoor.com were letting one another know how we can support each other. And so it's kind of wild, but it's a small way that you can build relationships. You can make yourself available to other people and see needs and help meet needs around you. Nextdoor.com. And also many, many neighborhoods and areas have Facebook groups. You can get on there, and yes, there's going to be people complaining about everything, but that's okay. Love requires you know, us to deal with some of that. And you can get on there, and if you don't have one, you can create one. Or if, if you're more of an analog person instead of a digital person, you can get with your neighbors and create a paper directory so that you're connected. But connecting with your neighbors online or in a directory offline is a great way that's small that can have a big impact. That's the second thing you can do. The third thing you can do is to invite neighbors to join you in what you're already doing. If you love to cook and to bake, when it comes Christmas time, why don't you invite some of your neighbors or the neighbor's kids to come over and to make Christmas cookies together? If you love to watch football, who here loves to watch football? <laughs> if you love to watch football, guess what? Yesterday, a lot of people were watching the Georgia-Florida game by themselves in their house screaming at the television, screaming with joy. And it's better to celebrate and have joy with other people around you. And so invite your neighbors. Say, hey, I'm watching the Georgia game. You want to come over? Invite them to join you in what you're already doing. And if you're a Florida fan and you feel really isolated here, <laughs> if you're on next door or you're connected with your neighbors online, you can say, hey, I feel like I'm alone in this world. Are there any Florida fans in the neighborhood? And y'all can watch the game together. Ask others to join in what you're already doing. If you like reading, you could start a book club. If you're walking, you could find other walkers and you could do it together. Think about what you love to do already. And ask yourself, how could I invite the people around me to join in what I'm already doing? It's small, but it can have a big impact. And the fourth thing is having a block party. And now, this one might not seem as small as the others, but having a block party once a year where you live can have a huge, huge impact because we've, we've talked about in the series how you can't manufacture relationships. You can't force a relationship on somebody or have a formula for it, and some people don't want a relationship with you, and that's okay. 
but we can create environments where relationships can grow. And parties are great environments for that to happen. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus spent a lot of time at parties, getting to know other people. And guess what? People got mad at Jesus for going to the parties. But parties were an opportunity for him to get to know other people. Block parties can be a great opportunity for you to get to know your neighbors. Yvonne, who interprets for us a lot, she actually had a block party in her neighborhood this past year. A couple years ago, she moved into her neighborhood, and she quickly met another neighbor who was new. And somehow in their conversation, the idea of a block party came up. And her neighbor was so excited and was such a party planner that she jumped on it. They made invitations, and they simply said, the time, the date, come meet your neighbors. And guess what happened? People came. And you know why people came to the block party? It's because they're the same as you and me. And they are curious as all get out as to what is behind each door that's living around them. I'm curious, right? I want to kind of know what's going on. I want to get to know my neighbors. And so they had this block party. People showed up. The kids played with the kids. The adults connected with the adults. Yvonne told me they were able to put faces with the different houses. And two of her neighbors who had lived next door to each other for over 10 years met each other for the first time at that gathering. They were able to network, get to know each other a little bit better. And then later in the year, when someone's house caught fire, they were already connected in a relationship. And so they could support one another more easily and coordinate more easily. So often it takes a crisis for neighbors to come together, but we could have parties instead. And so if you want to learn more about having a block party, you can talk to Yvonne. She'll be happy to tell you. And she'll tell you, look, you might not be a party planner, but one of those eight people who live around you probably is. And y'all can do it together. And if you want more resources on that, we actually have a guide for how to host a block party out there um, on a table when you leave today. So if you're interested in that, you can find out how to do it, when to do it, invite samples and things like that. So that's something you can do that's small, that can have a big impact. And finally, the last thing is to just do something. Oftentimes, we don't do small things because we're thinking about or we're planning on doing spectacular things that never get done. But all you have to do is just do something. Do small acts of love because it's small acts of love consistently over time that will add up and that God will take, bless, and multiply into something big for the sake of His kingdom. Love your neighbor. It's easy to say, but it's challenging to do. But I want to challenge you to continue doing it day in and day out in the months and in the years ahead. But I don't want us to just do this as individuals. I also want us as a church in this next season of our life together, and especially in 2018, to really focus on doing it as a church. Loving our neighbors who are right around us now that we're planted here. 
Loving our neighbors who are on Simpson Mill Road. Loving our neighbors who are on Hampton Locust Grove Road. Loving our neighbors who are on McDonough, who are in Locust Grove, and who are in Hampton. God has rooted us here on purpose and for a purpose. And so in the future, we're going to be putting a bigger focus on loving the people around us in local missions and on outreach. And as I help to lead us in that effort, I'm starting small. So actually, when I got here in July, I said, you know what? Love goes first. And what a good neighbor needs to do is to reach out to the people around them. So I realized quickly that there are five schools within a two and a half mile radius of this church. They're our neighbors. So I sent an email to all the top administrators. And I said, hey, my name's Jonathan. I'm the new pastor at Harvest Point on Simpson Mill Road. And I would love to come and introduce myself and get to know you a little bit and see if our church can serve you in any way. And this was right at the beginning of the school year and a lot of people were busy. And so I didn't get replies from everybody. But... I did get replies from a few people. And one of those people um, was an administrator at the school. And so we went and we met and we began a relationship. We got to know each other and, and that's continued over time. And actually this person is here today and he's going to come up and share with us because it's important for us when we, when we love our neighbors is to get to know them to see what blessings are in the houses around us, in the places around us, and see what the challenges are and how we can work together for good. And so I want to invite Mr. Martin Gore, who is the principal at Hampton High School, um, to come forward and to join us. Will y'all, will y'all give him a round of applause? Well, thank you for, for joining us this morning and for responding to my email in the midst of the busyness of the school year kicking off. Um, I know you've been in the community a while, a lot longer than I have. So um, would you share with the church a little bit about yourself and your history in Henry County and kind of your, your current and past roles? Um, first, I want to thank you for asking me to be here and reaching out to me. New in town is what the subject line <laughs> said, so it intrigued me. Um, and then as I read more um, and, you know, then eventually got to meet you, um, and, you know, it's been a great opportunity to get to meet one of our neighbors. Um, I have been in Henry County since 2003, um, have been in the Hampton community since 2007. I was a principal at Mount Carmel Elementary, which is one of the feeder schools for Hampton High School. Was there for seven, no, 10 years uh, before I jumped straight from elementary school to high school, and boy, what a jump it was. Wow. you know, and um, but the great part about it is I've seen uh, Hampton as a community change a lot um, through the recessions, through uh, the decline in the economy. Um, I've seen parents struggle. I've seen students struggle. I've seen successes on both sides, um, and I've seen the kids grow up. Mm. Um, so it's been a real exciting time for me. Um, not only as a person, but as a professional to see so many changes, but also to see a community come together um, and change and grow together uh, to become one, which is, you know, the Hampton community. So, nice. yeah. so in principle, being a principal, I mean, I know some people love being in the classroom. Some people love being administrators. What do you find most fulfilling in your work? 
you get to do everything. Um, you know, when you talk about an exciting movie and a movie you may want to see, <laughs> I promise you a high school is exciting. Um, <laughs> it's challenging um, and it's frustrating. And um, as I tell my kids, um, my bald spot's getting bigger because of you. Uh, but I appreciate that. Um, you know, we're going to see anywhere from... You know, this year we'll see 330 students graduate. Mm. Um, but when you talk about a real-life movie, you're going to see love. You're going to see hate. You're going to see conflict. You're going to see police. You're going to mm. see frustration. You're going to see births. You're going to see marriages, mm. um, deaths. You see a little bit of everything, wow. and you never know what you're going to see when you wake up that morning. And so when you walk through the doors... Whatever plan I have in place is going to change. And mm. so when you talk about being fulfilling, you get to see kids through the many phases. Um, teenage kids are trying to figure out who they are in this world. Um, despite what their parent, parental influences are and societal influences, they're just trying to decide what they're going to be, mm. how they're going to be, and how they're going to react to different situations. Um, and so they get into an opportunity where um, at a high school you've got all these cultures and influences coming to impact them, and they're trying to see how they're going to find their way. Um, and so when I think about it as an administrator, um, it's exciting to be there and have those conversations with them, um, to think that maybe something I say or don't say has influenced them um, in who they're going to be as an adult. Mm. Um, and as I tell each and every one of them, I just want you to be a productive citizen. Whatever that looks like, mm. you get to choose that um, and just know we're here to support you. Um, but more closely to being at Hampton, um, my current 10th graders w were kindergartners when I first started at Hampton Ele or Mount Carmel Elementary. Oh, wow. And so I will see them graduate kindergarten and high school in two more years. And so to see them grow um, and to become young adults who are making decisions, good and bad, um, but we're there to support them. And so it's an exciting time for me as an administrator just to be a part of it hmm. and see who they're becoming. Wow, that's cool. Well, now, I mean, one of the things we realize with our neighbors is that neighbors have great things to offer, great strengths and blessings. So what are, I mean, when you think about the school and the students in the school, what are some of the, the strengths and the blessings that they, they have to offer? Um, acceptance. I think hmm. when, you, when you think about, it's much like a church. No matter who walks through the doors, you're going to accept them, you're going to love them, and you're going to support them. And a high school is very similar. We have 1,275 students who are coming from all walks of life. And I think one of the strengths that we have is we come together. Um, more importantly, one of the things that we're facing right now is we're, we're having some of our students kneel during the national anthem. And we have parents who don't understand that. Mm -hmm. But our student population is coming together and supporting that and trying to understand that. And regardless of what our beliefs and our views are, mm -hmm. We're there to love and support them. Um, and there's varying views with this. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the strengths that you have out of that student body is, is how do we understand it? How do mm. we support it? How do we, um, you know, find understanding and all that? Um, but we've got some great organizations and clubs that we're starting. We have our Hampton Gents and our Ladies Unlimited where we're trying to mold our young men and women mm. into what their responsibility is as men and women in society. 
Um, and so we've got a lot of great clubs who are going out in the community and helping out. And um, I was looking at your shoebox thing, and I'm thinking, man, I know exactly how we could help plug that in and, wow. and support y'all with that. Um, and, you know, and I think it's it's about us getting in the community mm. and seeing what we can do to support y'all as much as you support us mm. so that we do become this community that is closely knit together. Oh, yeah. Because when you think about it, Hampton doesn't have a lot of business here. Um, it really is. is houses farmland and churches mm. and so how do we bring all of those together so that we can support each other yeah I, I never thought about how you know you don't get to choose your next door neighbors right <laughs> and there's going to be differences but you're called to love them anyway and how at the school it's yeah. the same thing that the students are there and they have to learn to love each other regardless of kind of how they feel about different things so what are what are some of the challenges that the the school faces the students and the families represented by the school what are some challenges going on that, that you see in, in our community you know, I think some of the biggest challenges is, you know, when you get a melting pot of everybody coming together is the understanding. Mm. Um, I would say being in this community for a long time, there is some racial tension within our community mm. that we face as a school. And um, it's unfortunate, um, you know, that not everybody can be accepting of their neighbors left, right, and in front of them and behind them, um, but just merely trying to understand. Yeah. I tell our kids all the time, you have two mouths and, or two ears and one mouth for a reason so that you can listen twice as much as you talk. Mm -hmm. And if we were to truly accept that, that we could hear what others are saying and learn to accept them. Um, and so when you talk about challenges, you know, we've got parents who are living with multiple heads of households in a in a, in a house um, mm -hmm. so, and i say that you got aunts and uncles and grandparents living there and everybody's working mm -hmm. and they're all doing what they can to make it um, and so having as a faculty and a staff an understanding that our parents are doing everything they can mm -hmm. but what can we do to support them yeah um, and you know you know when you talk about the challenges parents may not be involved well the first thought is they don't care and that's just the opposite they do care they just don't have the time mm. um, and so as a school what do we do to try to reach them do, I mean, do we do everything in the evenings do we try to do some in the mornings uh, we're mm. starting to expand and uh, try to do things in the weekends mm. um, everything we can to reach our um, kids but you know our kids today are facing things that we didn't have to face mm. um, when we were uh, kids and I think that as a staff at Hampton, one of the things that we have to do is understand that the way we were raised is not the way these kids are being raised, and it's much different. And we need to have an understanding to mm. that and listen to our kids right. rather than talk to them, speak at them. It's about letting them talk and have a voice. Mm. Um, and so as we do all that with our uh, students and, and we look at all the diverse challenges, um, you know, just last year we had two kids commit suicide. And, you know, and do we miss the signs when we talk about that? Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, I think, the, the public media, mm. um, uh, the use of cell phones, Snapchat, and everything else is creating a, um, an interesting time mm. for us yeah. Um, yeah. and our students and helping them understand who they are and how they identify who they are. So a lot of different challenges, um, but it's an exciting time because it gives us an opportunity as a, as a culture within Hampton as well as at the school and the community to yeah. say, how can we support you? Yeah, so that, I mean, that's kind of my alone. final question for you is how, how can we support you as a church? What are things that, you know, the, the students would love or that the teachers would love? You know, I, I think if you think globally, 
praying for us daily, we can never have enough prayers. And I mean that. So if you're driving by Hampton, just say a little prayer shout out for us. Um, when you wake up in the mornings or go to bed, just if you could think about us and say prayers mm. globally. I think when you talk about, you know, our teachers, there's nothing more important to teachers than jeans, passes, and food. Um, you know, and it sounds very <laughs> simplistic. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, just being able to dress down and relax a little bit and uh, getting a little bit of food in your stomach and when you don't expect it is always nice. Yeah. Um, and it's more important. Our teachers are carrying a lot of emotions hmm. when they go home because they're carrying the emotions of the students they see. So if you think about it, our average teacher sees 120 students a day. Wow. that they actually touch. Um, so when you talk 90 to 120 students and then they have to go home and carry that burden with their own. Um, so can just continue to pray wow. for them. But yeah, food and jeans, make it easy well, for us. Well, I know us. we can't do much about the jeans passes. Um, that's, that's more yeah. your territory. <laughs> um, but you and I did talk about the food. And mm -hmm. so I want to let you all know about a small opportunity we have coming up. On Wednesday, November 8th, uh, Principal Gore is allowing us to come into the school and to feed the 100 teachers that are there. And so um, we need 10 volunteers that morning um, who can go and deliver the food. We're going to deliver it by cart to the classroom mm -hmm. so that the students, you said, could see yes. that the teachers are loved and supported and that people in this community care. Um, so we need 10 people who'd be willing to help cart around the food and serve the teachers. And then we need other people um, to, to bring food to the church and to help donate it. So um, at the table right outside the snacks in the lobby, there's a sign-up page. We'd love for you to sign up if you could help serve, or if you could bring some muffins, fruit, and other things. Um, and this is just the first of, of many small things we talked about as we try to be um, loving neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, thank you for being here with us. Um, we're going to pray for you at the end of the message, but um, thank you. And will you all give Principal Gore a round of applause for... Awesome. We're going to... We're going to start small. you got to start somewhere, right? And doing breakfast for the students, for the teachers, doing small things like that, you know, it's not everything, but it's something. It's a selfless, intentional act of love. And we're going to start with this breakfast, so I hope you'll sign up, and we're going to continue to do things in the days to come. So we're going to be doing that as a church, starting small. And I want to encourage you to continue to start small and to love in small ways the people around you and selfless, intentional acts of love towards them. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but this coming Tuesday night is a big day. It's Halloween, or in the church calendar, what we often call All Hallows' Eve. And I know there's many different opinions and thoughts about Halloween, but I also know this. It is the one night of the year when you can go up to your neighbor's house, knock on the door, introduce yourself, exchange gifts, and it's not awkward at all. It's actually very normal and expected. And so this Tuesday night, I want to challenge you to leave your lights on, to receive your neighbors with love, and to get to know them, get to know their names. Give them a little gift. And use it as an excuse to go to your neighbors who are around you. Even if you don't have kids, just say, hey, I saw your light was on and you're receiving trick-or-treaters tonight. I'd love to meet you. I've lived next door to you for many years. It is a great opportunity and excuse to love our neighbors in a small way, in a tangible way, and to get to know them. So I want to challenge you to leave your lights on this Tuesday 
And to help encourage you to do that, we actually have something small for you. Um, Courtesy of Nestle, we have candy for everyone who is willing to leave their lights on um, this Tuesday night. And so it's, it's a very tiny amount of candy. It's a small amount of candy, right? You got that from this sermon? It's a small bag of candy. Um, it's not for personal consumption. It's for you to give away. And inside that bag, I signed a contract that says not for personal consumption by us. So I need you to obey that. Um, but it's a small amount of candy. And inside that bag are little cards as well that, that you can tape to candy. You can give out to people that just say, hey, this is a sign of love. It's a sign of love from me and from Harvest Point. And so um, the ushers are going to have those at the exits. So if, if you're willing to leave your lights on, I invite you to take a bag of that um, and to use it um, as something small that God can multiply into something big. It's not everything. It's not something big, but it's something. And God can take these small things that we do. And when we give it to him, he can bless them and he can multiply them into something huge for the sake of his kingdom. So as we end this series and this time together, let's pray. And we're going to pray a special prayer over Hampton High School as well. So let's go before God. God, we thank you. We thank you first for your love for us. For your mercy, for your grace, and for the ways that you're calling us to love our neighbors. God, help give us courage boldness, joy. Help give us opportunities to meet the people who live next door this next week and beyond. And God, we especially pray this morning for Hampton High School. God, for all of the students there, all of the administrators there, all of the teachers there, all of the people who are, who are working behind the scenes jobs, and all of the families who are represented by that school. God, we ask that your love will be made known to them through us and through other people, God, that your presence would be there and guide them. And God, you would let them know deep in their hearts through our witness that they're loved. They're loved by you and they're loved by us. So God, we thank you for this upcoming opportunity and we pray that you would expand the opportunities to love our neighbors in this community as we hold return to Bethlehem, as we step into this new year and we reach out more and more to the people right around us. God, we pray that you would take those small efforts. You would bless them. And we pray that you would multiply them for the sake of your kingdom. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If they can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectations, waiting here for you. salvation 
You've loved us from the start Waiting here for you With our hands lifted high In praise And it's you we adore singing Singing, hallelujah, singing, hallelujah. 
waiting here for you. We wait all for you. And it's you we adore singing hallelujah we're singing have a seat for just a second. I want to introduce to you our newest member of Harvest Point. I want to invite her to come forward, Emily Anderson, my wife. Um, Emily has grown up at Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches. Um, for the last number of years, her membership has been at Brentwood Methodist Church in Tennessee, um, where she was raised. And um, a little bit about Emily. She had two parents um, who were Christians who helped raise her in the faith. They're actually here. My in-laws are here this morning. And um, so Emily grew up in the church, and it was really in middle school when she began living out her faith in a daily way, living out that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And since then, she's been living it out in many different ways. Um, some of you might know that um, she's currently a counselor. She counsels um, kids. She does therapy for them um, in a school in DeKalb County through a partnership with Chris 180, the organization she works for. She's worked for Covenant House of Georgia, a homeless shelter for um, 18 to 25-year-olds and a number of other nonprofits, um, giving herself away. Her spiritual gifts, encouragement, she's a great encouragement to me. She uh, also has the gift of discernment, leadership, and wisdom. And so she's joining us today. And a quick fun fact about her, I told her she had to give some fun facts. And she actually gave me one I didn't even know about her. And this is her first job. And her first job was as a tween, as a fifth grader, as an actress on a PBS television show. It was a television show that helped kids learn how to read or write. It, it helped kids learn how to write. And so we tried to find it on YouTube, but we couldn't find a clip from it. Um, but she was actually a, a little model in her middle school years. Um, and so that's a fun little fact about Emily. Um, and she's going to be serving the church in so many different ways. And so, Emily, I want to ask you the questions we ask all new members here. First of all, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you believe in the Christian faith as contained in the Old and New Testaments? Do you promise to live and grow as a disciple of Jesus? And will you support Harvest Point with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? All right. Well, would you extend a hand towards Emily as we um, pray for her and we, as we go out from this place? God, we thank you for Emily for the gift that she is, not only to me, but to the body of Christ and to this church, Harvest Point. God, we pray that um, you would open up great opportunities for her to serve you in the days and the years ahead. And God, as we go out, help us to have our eyes open to the needs around us. Help us to meet those needs with love. Help send us out with joy and with thanksgiving. We ask all these things in Christ's name. We'll see you next week. Amen. Thank you.